Become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you each and every week, I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors. Uh, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And as we've told you, Chen is not currently taking any new subscriptions. He will be uh, doing so, we think, at the beginning of next year. So if you are interested in subscribing to Chen's excellent newsletter, you need to go to miningstocks.com. That's miningstocks.com and put your name on a list uh, to be called uh, for a subscription at the start of the new year. Based on uh, attrition, Chen does expect to take on some new subscribers at the at the beginning of 2013. My newsletter, however, is available uh, to new subscribers, and again, you can go to miningstocks.com. That's Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, we publish weekly and monthly and uh, provide a lot of information uh, in the markets, uh, in particular, for the most part, in the energy or in the uh, gold and silver markets, but also we're finding some very interesting things in the energy space these days as well. Uh, I should like to remind you that you can follow everything that I do by going to jtaylormedia.com. That's jaytaylormedia.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter under the handle jtaylormedia. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. And, of course, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, our sponsors are Airway Energy, Aravista Gold, Blue Sky Uranium, Bravada Gold, Brazil Resources, Dynacor Gold Mines, Millrock Resources, Northern Free Gold, and Riverside Resources. Before I begin talking about today's show, uh, let me just say a word or two about a couple of our sponsors. I do like to pass along some of the more important news events and things that are taking place with our sponsors. Airway Energy, uh, well, I'll be talking to Chris Cooper. He's the CEO of, uh, of that company in just a few minutes after a first commercial break, a company with growing earnings in the energy space in Canada. And then at the back end of today's show, uh, at about 4.30 New York time, I'll be talking to Rick Adams. He's the CEO of Aura Vista Gold, uh, and uh, he'll be coming on to talk about that company's Douai project in Quebec that has some 3 million ounces of gold uh, established there already. Just a word or two about a couple of other companies uh, that are sponsors. Bravada Gold is selling at what seems to me a ridiculously low price of 4.5 cents. This is a company that has had a preliminary economic study that suggests its shares 
At current gold and silver prices are worth something closer to a dollar twenty per share at this uh, Wind Mountain project in Nevada. I think there's a huge amount of upside potential there for that company. Although we uh, don't want to uh, mislead you into thinking that it's anything like a slam dunk. These are high risk, high return stories for sure. But Bravada Gold. Um, is one, I think, that is just ridiculously underpriced. We're going to be talking to Amir Adnani in the middle of, actually, I think it's the first, uh, it's the middle of January, our second week in January, our first full week when we're on um, on the air in January uh, 2013. Amir Adnani, who heads up Brazil Resources, will be with us. want to make a note uh, also that Dynacor has just started to drill on its Tumipampa property. That's a property we think has the potential for finding something really big. It's a copper-gold scarn target. Uh, and in the meantime, though, Dynacor just keeps on growing its earnings and ex- uh, gold production, doing extremely well in Peru. Northern Free Gold, another company I think is selling at a ridiculously low price, just under 10 cents a share, has under 3 million, or actually 6 million gold equivalent ounces on its Yukon property, 3 million ounces of gold. And uh, it's due a, a preliminary economic assessment and also an updated resource early in January. My thinking here is that this stock uh, could rise very nicely at the beginning of the new year with some good news, of course, depending on the overall uh, situation. The junior gold stocks are continually, are still way, way down from where uh, they have been. It has been one of the worst and toughest years I can remember in some time, even rivaling that of 2008-2009. Riverside Resources, also a sponsor, uh, I was starting to drill on an iron oxide copper gold target in Mexico, and there Cliffs Resources is doing uh, spending the money, and Cliffs uh, is looking for something big, that's for sure. It's a big company. If they hit on something, Riverside could also be a star performer. Well, let's get now uh, into today's show. What I try to do on this show is to explain and explore, I should say, more than explain, because uh, who knows for sure, but what I try to do is explore the truth, because I firmly do believe that most of what we hear in the mainstream media is self-fulfilling or self-serving propaganda, and at best, only half true. Most of what we talk about on this show has to do with issues within the field of economics, and within that field, we talk most often, more often than about anything else, we talk about money. Having a strong view that there are economic laws that ultimately win out over politicians who try to circumvent those laws for their own monetary and political gains, I have a strong bias towards the most free market economic school on the face of the earth, and that is Austrian economics. Many, if not most, of our guests on this show have a similar view of politics and economics, starting with some of the first guests that we have had on this show, going back to Congressman Ron Paul, Ed Griffin, uh, a creature from Jekyll Island fame, Mark Faber, Rick Rule, Doug Casey, and they could name many, many more. It is my firm belief that current political leaders around the world, including the United States, have distorted and disturbed the natural laws of economics to the point where we are now at facing a systemic global economic breakdown. And, for example, there is reason to believe that major U.S. banks that own and control the Federal Reserve Bank are manipulating the gold and silver markets to retain, I think, uh, the notion that the Fed is in control, that paper money is king. In fact, to con citizens into believing that worthless paper money, which politicians can create out of thin air, and thus use for their own selfish purposes to consolidate power and make friends with their crony capitalist friends to keep people conned into accepting 
paper money. Both politicians and crony capitalists in our major banking and corporate institutions are, in my view, seeking to circumvent the natural laws of economics and, um, and to destroy competition so as to increase their power and wealth at the expense of the masses. At about 4 o'clock today, Alistair McLeod uh, will join me once again to talk about major distortions that he sees in the gold and silver markets that he thinks could result in a sudden and exponential rise in the price of the precious metals in 2013. And Alistair believes that um, the silver market uh, markets have the biggest problems facing them because of the enormous short position uh, by the banks against what he sees as a very limited supply of silver out there in the market for delivery. And uh, in other words, there just won't be enough silver available to meet the paper demands in the futures market. Well, we'll look to Alistair to help us understand the underlying dynamics in the gold and silver markets and how to position our own accounts accordingly. And then again this week, we're going to go a bit further out of the norm in terms of subject matter. Last week, we talked about global warming uh, and some very interesting feedback from a number of you on that score. Uh, but at about 3.30 today, a New York Times, Dr. Gerald Schroeder will talk to me from his office in Jerusalem about his book, The Science of God. Many of the founders of America believed in the natural laws of economics, which is one reason why they constructed a constitution that limited the power of government and required government to keep its hands off the economy and, in fact, why the constitution restricts money to gold and silver. Underlying this strong belief in the natural laws of economics was an equally strong belief on the part of many of our founding fathers, if not all of them, that there was a supreme being that was more powerful than human beings, and that supreme being wrote the laws of economics. In the Declaration of Independence, our founding fathers wrote, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable rights, among which are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So the founders of our country, at least most of them, clearly believed that there was a Creator, or a God, as we have come to know it in the Western world, why is that important to mention on this show, a show that's about economics and money? Because if you believe in a supreme being, a god, if you will, then the ultimate lord is not President Obama or Vladimir Putin or Mao Zedong or Hitler or George Bush or, or uh, President Clinton, but a supreme being. If you, get right, if you get rid of a notion of God, as Western civilization has to a great extent done, then you have to turn to some strong-arm dictator to fix things and make them right. So I think it is no accident that we in America are losing our liberty as people turn more and more to government to fix all that is wrong. And this will surely fail, as it is currently failing in the economic realm, and as we talk about it almost every week on this show. The Founding Fathers believed in a creator that is Lord over all humanity. In general, more and more citizens, as I say in the West, no longer believe in God, or at least our intelligentsia does not believe in God, and so we are being programmed in our universities to be atheistic or agnostics. And with that comes, I believe, very certainly, dictatorships and strong-armed leaders and a loss of our liberty. But what is really true when it comes to the God question? And is there a supreme being that is ultimately in charge of our lives, or were our founding fathers full of baloney? As I reach retirement age, I'm wondering more these days, when this life is over, 
Is this all there is? At one time, among scientists, the views of Aristotle prevailed. That was the view that there was no creation. The universe just simply always existed. But with the discoveries of Einstein and the discovery of the Big Bang, mainstream scientists now have concluded that there was a beginning. And if there was a beginning, there had to be a beginner, a supreme being, if you will, that we in the West have called God. But is there really any scientific evidence for the existence of a supreme being or a God, if that is what you want to call it? Of course, if you go to a priest or a rabbi or a minister, you will get the usual answer that there is a God, and you should just have, you just have to believe it by faith. But what about those of us who are not inclined to blindly believe in something if we don't see some evidence for believing it? For me, personally, this is a very important question, the God question. So I am turning today to Dr. Gerald Schroeder, who is not only a top-rated nuclear physicist and former professor at MIT, but also has a deep understanding of theology. Specifically, he is a scholar of the Talmud uh, and the writings of various medieval scholars. Dr. Schroeder will talk to me from Jerusalem at about 3.30 to see if we can gain some insights into this most important question. Not only is there a supreme being, but what might it mean for the way we live our lives, our brief lives on this earth. Well, we're not going to um, abandon the earthly needs for very long. As I said, we'll be talking to Alastair McLeod about gold and silver. And in just a minute, when we come back from our first break, Chris Cooper, uh, the CEO of Airway Energy, will be joining me again to talk about that company's growth prospects in 2013. Then in the second hour of today's show, Rick Adams of Aravista Gold, a company with 3 million ounces of gold in Quebec, will come along to talk about potential uh, to grow that company into something even bigger and uh, the potential to build wealth. Again, this is another company, Aravista Gold, that's selling for pennies, 23 cents, I think I saw earlier today, I believe has enormous upside potential, and I do own shares of that stock as well. Well, it is time to go to our first break now, and when we come back, uh, we're going to be talking to Chris Cooper of Airway Energy, so don't go away. I'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Arrowway Energy is an oil-focused Canadian-based production and exploration company operating in the Peace River Arch region of northern Alberta, Canada, with a land base of over 28,000 hectares, surrounded by major oil and gas producers such as Birchcliff Energy and Shell Canada. Arroway is currently producing 650 BOE per day, 90% oil. Arroway is debt-free, cash flow positive, and funded through its 2012 drill program. Arroway is listed on the OTCQX under the symbol ARWJF and on the TSX Venture under the symbol ARW. Attention mining investors. Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001. 
Blue Sky Uranium is a leading pioneer in the exploration for uranium in the Patagonia region of Argentina. Their exploration success has attracted one of the world's largest multinational nuclear power companies to fully fund Blue Sky's exploration programs. Argentina is very focused on nuclear to provide for their energy needs, yet they do not currently produce the required uranium to feed the reactors. Blue Sky has opened up a new frontier for exploration for uranium in Argentina with an objective of supplying both domestic and international markets. Investors deserve to start seeing greater returns, period. Creating shareholder value requires vision and a disciplined, fiscally responsible style. At Dynacor Gold Mines, we are proving how to fuel growth without shareholder dilution. Cash flow and liquidity levels are as robust as the company has seen throughout its history. Dynacor is a low-risk public company generating actual profits coupled with real shareholder value. Learn more at DynacorGold.com or follow us on Twitter at DynacorGold. Listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number 4, Taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Training Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me Chris Cooper. He is the CEO of Airway Energy, and uh, it's good to have him back. Uh, Airway is selling uh, today at about 43 cents. It trades uh, on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol ARW, and it is also available. You can purchase it down here in the United States under the symbol ARWJF. There are about 61 million shares outstanding after the company just recently did a $4 million funding, uh, but it still has a very, very tiny market cap of $26 uh, million, and for a company that is growing as it is and a company that is uh, showing very nice earnings, I think uh, it's, it's one that you need to learn more about. So welcome, Chris. I'm really glad to have you back. Well, thanks for having me. Now, uh, you just recently did a raise. You raised about $4 million, and that was to do what? Yes, we... Um... We uh, just did a raise of a little over $4 million. We uh, have a pretty aggressive exploration program ahead of us into 2013, and actually we're, we're actually underway right now. Um, and uh, I've always made it a point never to drill exploration wells on debt. And uh, we had a number of the funds in Canada approach me to um, to do a financing. They wanted to get involved, and um, I was always raised, uh, if someone's offering you money, you should take it, especially if it's exploration dollars. So, um, yeah, we raised a, a, a primary, primarily most of the money was raised at 55 cents and it was a flow through financing, but, um, it went, uh, it, it went very well and we closed it, uh, closed it up right away at, um, as soon as we could. So yeah, yeah we're happy to have it done. Now your exploration is going to be mostly uh, is where is this in, in the in the new uh, along the new area that you just acquired? You acquired some new wells recently uh, in Saskatchewan, I believe, right? That, yes, but the uh, that that's more of a development play that we acquired. Our, our exploration properties um, are, are is our core area in the Peace River Arch, as well as an acquisition that we did in September of this year. Uh, we purchased some land in the Kirkpatrick Lake area, which is um, uh, kind of central Alberta, 
um, very nice light oil play. Um, so we, we did an acquisition there in September, and um, we actually just finished drilling our first well, and we're going to start our second well here on Thursday. So um, we're, we're, we're pretty busy, and uh, so, yeah, we'll be spreading our exploration dollars out through uh, our main core area and this Kirkpatrick Lake area, of which we're a 100% uh, operator. So you raised the $4 million mostly for higher-risk uh, wells, I guess, as opposed to the uh, development wells? That's correct. That's correct. And you've, uh, I mean, to, to a great extent, you've been drilling mostly development wells, I think, uh, uh, but you're looking for, I guess, some bigger, some bigger discoveries possibly with your, uh, with your exploration wells. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, you know, as I mentioned before, I've seen, uh, um, you know, I, I've, I make it a point not to drill, uh, those riskier exploration wells on, uh, on debt just because, uh, you know, you, it's a, it's a pretty easy way to blow up your company in a hurry. Sure, sure. Now you come, but you have a good, solid foundation, Chris. And you you exited. You're exiting this year at how many barrels a day? Well, we set a goal to exit at 1,200 BOE a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, which is basically a double from last year. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, we're we're we think we're right on track for that. You know, we do have. Uh, you know, we've got these wells that we're drilling right now, which we will be be bringing on right at the end of the year. And, um, you know, we're pretty confident that we can get there. And we do have that shut-in, our shut-in gas, which we are starting to turn on. We had about uh, 200, 250 BOE a day uh, of gas that uh, we had shut in earlier in the year. And the price of gas has recovered quite a bit to the point where we feel it's, uh, you know, pretty economic to bring our gas on. So we're starting to do that as well. And, uh, you know, we're, we're confident we'll get to that 1,200 BOE a day mark or, or very close to it. And that was with that acquisition, I think, that you just made that gets you over that hump, right? Yes, that's correct. We've been looking at the, we've been looking at doing an acquisition for, um, well, pretty much all year. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of really good, good deals out there. And, uh, the one that we just closed on, um, is one of the best I've seen. And so we, uh, yeah, we, we just closed on it, uh, at the end of November. Give us a sense of uh, what you paid for those wells and what sort of a recovery of investment uh, time you expect. Sure. So we paid um, the purchase price for the property was two point seven million dollars, which, you know, after all the adjustments and whatnot, it actually worked out to less than ten thousand dollars a flowing barrel. Um, now the average for for um, for acquisitions and product purchasing production. Uh, throughout this year has been around $40,000 a flowing barrel. So we really got a good deal. Um, the property is producing a little over 300 barrels a day. Mm-hmm. And um, we think that uh, we're, we're quite confident that when we undertake a development program in March, um, we could probably spend about a million and a half dollars and get that production up to over 630 barrels a day. So, you know, it's a, it's a great uh, property. We paid less than the proven value on the reserve report. Um so it's uh, it's it's a, it was a steal. Oh, it's uh, excellent. So, what, there, is there some exploration potential around those wells, or is it just basically development? It's all mostly development. Yes. Okay. So, what sort of cash flows do you anticipate from those new wells? What what do you expect you might get? And, well, I guess maybe we have to ask in terms of barrels uh, of oil a day. Uh, you say three hundred barrels of oil. So, what might that provide for the company net? Um, well, on a on a field cash flow basis, we're gonna we're gonna be bringing in just under three hundred thousand dollars a month, uh, which really translates into a 
you know, almost a nine-month, uh, not even a nine-month payback on the whole acquisition. So mm. it's mm. really nice cash flow. And the life of these wells? Oh, this this, this is uh, well, our reserve report that we just had updated has this this going for another twenty years. Um, oh, okay. You know, it's uh, the facilities are all in place, and uh, with a small development plan that we have uh, that we can put in place, we think we can you know even extend that further. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned you're starting to sell gas, and what are you getting for gas these days? Um, gas is uh, right now trading a little over three dollars. So uh, yeah, we we get a little bit better than the ACO spot just because our joint venture partner. Uh, controls the facilities, and so we're not paying huge transportation costs and whatnot. So we're getting between, um, you know, around three dollars and ten, three dollars and fifteen cents. What do you? Yeah. What do you think? Uh, so, what will your numbers look like if you? I guess you can't really say yet until you have them in. But you're you were looking to you, what? What were your earnings for the first nine months of this year? Or so they were pretty good. Yeah, Earnings we had, cash um, my memory serves me. I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me, but I believe we did about $2.8 million in, in um, our, our adjusted net income mm-hmm. for nine months. Mm-hmm. So we've, um, you know, at the end of this, at the end of December, when, when we, uh, or early, you know, the beginning of January, we expect to be cash flowing um, yeah, about a little over a million dollars a month to the company, just on our production. Mm-hmm. Well, that's uh, that's pretty good for a company with the number of shares I, I mentioned a little while ago. Uh, you could be looking at some pretty nice cash flows on a per share basis, especially when you look at a stock that's forty three cents. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's a. I mean, I don't have to tell you, Jay. It's a tough market out there right now. Whether you're an oil producer or a miner or anything, it's um, you know, it, it's it's tough. So, you know, I. You know the odd the odd day I do look at our our share price and I you know, I just I kind of shake my head don't understand why we're trading so low, um, you know but I, I take very big very large comfort in the fact that we've got lots of cash on hand we've got great production we've got a great growth plan, and um, you know I think eventually these markets will turn around and 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 uh, our shareholders will be rewarded. You have how much cash on hand now, more or less? Uh, well, a little over $4 million. And you have a line of credit as well available to you for working capital, I guess, right? That, that's correct, yeah, and for acquisitions. We funded this acquisition um, primarily out of bank debt. Yeah, and they were very happy to see you do that because with a nine-month payout, you could uh, easily take care of that and service that. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Um, what about, so how much gas do you have shut in now? Um, well, we had originally had about 250 BOE a day of gas shut in. Um, we brought on probably about 100 BOE, and we're, we're continuing to bring on um, bring on more gas. So we've got another, you know, 200 or, or I'm sorry, 150 probably behind pipe that we're starting to bring on. Do you um, what what sort of uh, price? Forecasts are you making, if any, or, or what is what is your sense about the price for oil and gas going forward here now? And there's a big disparity, of course, right now in the markets for uh, for crude down here in the states between what is it, the Brent and the WTI and so forth. What what are you thinking? What is your you know what are you thinking in terms of uh, oil and gas prices going forward? Um, I'm pretty you know I'm, I've always been bullish on oil. Um, you know it's a depletable resource that uh, people just you know, seem to consume and consume more of. So, you know, I, I, I'm in the uh, kind of the 90 to $95 um, range level or price level for the WTI. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've always been bullish. And on the gas, I think gas is going to be making the comeback. It has ran up in the past month. Quite, uh, I know it was over 350 or 360. It's come off a little bit, but I think it's going to come back on, uh, come back up here in the in the short term. Well, we're certainly talking about using more and more gas. I think it was uh, this morning um, I heard somebody on Bloomberg Radio here in New York talk about uh, the conversion to natural gas fuel cars. That would certainly be a big one. What about uh, exporting of gas? Is there anything going on now in terms of uh, liquid, liquefied natural gas? Um, well, it's a big. It's actually a hot topic here in British Columbia because they're talking of uh, putting in a big pipeline to to the west coast and uh, starting to export more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, we're not. We're, I mean, we don't produce enough gas to to, to do yeah. that. But it's, yeah, you're, you're... it's definitely um, a hot topic for sure. You're more of a uh, your mix is is strongly in favor of oil, isn't it? That's correct. Yeah, we're uh, as we stand today, we're about ninety percent oil. Chris, I uh, am more familiar with the mining industry than the uh, oil and gas industry. I've got a couple of oil and gas companies on my list, but it's the mining industry, and I've seen I've never seen it, hardly ever seen it worse and and more difficult than it is now. How are you seeing you know other oil companies? Are they smaller oil companies? Are they trading down? Um, they're Price earnings multiples being being crushed as well. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. We. I've. Um, it's funny. I had a chat with a CFO of another um, oil and gas company yesterday, and we were talking about, um, you know, just you know, the, I guess the current net asset values of companies based on a flowing barrel basis, and you know, there's only uh, there was a report that was issued yesterday, and there's only about 47 companies that. Uh, um, have production between 500 and 10,000 barrels a day in on the TSX here in Canada, and you know that's an awfully low number um, yeah. considering there's so many junior companies out there. And um, you know, and it's just you know, no, no matter how much good news or good things you have going, you, you just you're not really you're getting beat up for it. It seems so. It does seem that way. And you know, smart, uh, Chris, smart investors. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm one of them because I let my emotions uh, deal too much with how I how I make my uh, investment decisions. I, I have to confess that to my listening audience. But smart investors take these kind of opportunities. I think about Rick Rule, who's a very very astute investor, and he's licking his chops at these low prices because the really smart investors know this is the time to come in and buy them, and somehow they have the ability to do that where a lot of us get scared off. So you you definitely are growing your company. You're doing it the right way, I think, because you're not taking undue risks. You're building slowly internally with internal cash flows building up uh, a company, and I think that's what I like to see. So we look forward to keeping track of your story. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion today? Um, No, you know, I just, um, you know, I appreciate your support and keeping an eye on us, and, uh, you know, hopefully our shareholders continue to have, uh, continue to to believe in the story, because we've got a really exciting 2013 ahead of us, so I'm looking forward to to getting our, our new drilling results out here shortly. Well, we we'll look forward to uh, to seeing those as well, Chris, and passing them on to our listeners. Thank you very much for being with us. That's all the time we have for today, folks, until our next uh, guest. And we are going to be talking to nuclear physicist Dr. Gerald Schroeder. Uh, he'll be here to talk to us about some very seldom discussed issues on this show, but we think very important ones. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Dr. Gerald Schroeder. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the reality is that exploration for mineral deposits is risky business, though the rewards for shareholders can be enormous. At Millrock Resources, we don't believe in risking your investment on a treasure hunt. We believe in leveraging shareholder capital to generate projects and partnering with mining giants such as Kinross, Ballet, Inmet, and Tech to fund our exploration in the mining-friendly states of Alaska and Arizona. By utilizing this business model, Millrock Resources increases the potential of finding economic gold and copper deposits and maximizing shareholder wealth. For more information, Please visit us at www.millrockresources.com or find us on the TSX Venture under MRO. I've recently recommended Northern Free Gold to my subscribers because its nearly 6 million gold equivalent ounce resource can lead to a major rise in its share price. The company's Yukon project is in a politically safe jurisdiction, far from population centers, and it is advantaged with road access and nearby electricity. A large deposit and a vision of positive economics should make Northern Free Gold an acquisition target. The potential upside, in my view, for these shares is major. Our Vista Gold Corporation's principal asset is the Dewey Project, which currently has a 43101 compliant resource of approximately 3 million ounces of gold and is considered to be one of the last undeveloped, low-grade, bulk tonnage potential super pits in Quebec. The Dewey Project has significant potential to further grow the resource by both step-out drilling as well as further infill drilling within the existing porphyry. Our Vista has a well-designed, extensive 35,000-meter 100-hole drill program planned for Q4 2012, with results expected in early 2013 and an updated resource estimate to follow. Arvista Gold trades on the TSXV under the symbol AVA. For further details, please visit www.arvistagold.com. Riverside Resources is a mineral exploration company focused on making big discoveries and is advancing a strong portfolio of gold, silver, and copper properties in the Americas. Riverside owns commanding land packages near active mines and deposits where new discoveries have been efficiently developed. Riverside Resources is exploring Mexico, a country with a rich mining history and an even more promising future. Riverside Resources. Knowledge is golden. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really extremely pleased to have with me today Dr. Gerald Schroeder. Dr. Schroeder is unique, very unique, in fact, because he is a, not only a top-rated scientist, a nuclear physicist, uh, but he also has a strong background, a very, very strong background in theology. Uh, in the realm of science, Dr. Schroeder has had over 30 years of experience in research and teaching with a bachelor's, master's, and doctorate in earth sciences and physics uh, degrees from MIT. Uh, his doctorate thesis was under the supervision of physics professor Robert Evans, uh, with another five years on the staff at MIT physics department, and prior to moving to Israel, where he joined the, uh, the Wiseman Institute, um, 
and, of science and then the Volcani Research Institute while also having a laboratory at the Hebrew University. Uh, in the field of theology, Dr. Schroeder's formal training is uh, in biblical, Talmudic, and uh, Kabbalistic interpretation. It includes uh, 15 years of study under the late Rabbi Herman Pollock and Rabbi Chaim Brovender and Rabbi Noah Weinberg. Dr. Schroeder has also pursued a study of ancient biblical interpretation, and he has written various books, including The Science of God, which uh, was on the Barnes & Noble list of nonfiction bestsellers and Amazon.com's best-selling book in physics and cosmology. Uh, that was in 1998. Welcome, Dr. Schroeder, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, it's a great title for the show, and thank you for having me on here. It's really great to have you, and, you, and you're talking to us from Jerusalem. Yes, yeah, we're, it's right, right now it's pitch black, it's nighttime, and a bit of a crescent moon of showing, because it's just after the new moon, so uh, yep. yeah, it's, it's Jerusalem time it's at 10.30 bedtime. at night. Almost bedtime for you, I suppose. Um, yeah. Well, Dr. Schroeder, <laughs> I'd like to start out our conversation today by quoting you in a speech that you made last year when you were awarded the Trotter Prize in Texas. And uh, let me just read that quote for my listeners. You said, My field of research in nuclear physics led me early on to witness a long series of nuclear detonations, atomic bombs. In those days, I wasn't part of the science Bible dialogue. Then at one of the detonations, I saw the entire face of a mountain disappear in a flash. That burst of power and its effect on the seeming solidity of a mountain jump started my search for a common ground between the wisdom of the Bible and the scientific understanding of existence of nature, end of quote. What was it about that experience that set you off on your search for a common ground between the wisdom of the Bible and the scientific understanding uh, of existence and of nature? Well, you get this, we, it makes you realize that sometimes the superficial reading of nature and the superficial reading of the Bible gives you the wrong reality. I uh -huh. mean, here we had a piece of solid Earth, I mean, really solid, had driven up the mountain a few hours before, <laughs> and it just just disappeared. Just a million years of ever, a million years of erosion in a half of a second. That's incredible. That that's incredible. So what you're saying is what we see both in the Bible and in in the world around us a lot of times is is not really what what is there. There's a great sub uh, a subtext. In reality, and there's a subtext in the biblical scriptures. The, we look at the world, it seems solid. In my field, nuclear physics, when you measure the solidity, let's say, of a rock and the, and the atoms that go in to make up a rock, the solidity is one part in 15 billion. That is, there are 15 billion pieces of totally empty space mm -hmm. and one part of solidity. It's, it, in other words, the world really isn't there. You yeah. just perceive it to be there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's incredible when you look at the molecular level, and I know you've talked about that in your book and in your in your speech in Texas about how uh, I think if if the atom were scaled up so that the nuclear the nucleus was an orange, you'd have four miles or something like that out to the cloud of electrons that circle around the uh, incredible. So we don't think we. I mean, I'm looking at this desk right now; it seems solid, but what you're saying is. What is really there is not quite what it appears. Very interesting. It's forces. It, the world is made up of forces 
that aren't physical, but they present as if it's physical. Yes, indeed. Uh, you state that both science and the Bible agree now, since uh, Einstein did, Einstein's days, I guess, that there was a creation, a beginning, if you will. If that is the case, then it does seem to follow that there would be some sort of an omniscient, omnipotent, powerful creator or some source that set this in motion at some point, right? Yeah, I think in science it pretty much accepts that also, that there are, that the universe is the result of non-physical forces that created the universe. I, I would urge your, your listeners, if they have the opportunity, to go to the NASA website, NASA, National Space Authority, and there type in the letters WMAP, or just go to Google Images and type in WMAP, and you get a diagram of the history of the universe from the scientific point of view. No Bible, zero. But they have a creation of the universe, Mark, and that creation of the universe is brought into being by laws of nature that predate the existence of the universe. Yeah. We're talking, if you call that God, it's the same definition. Before yeah. the universe, outside of time, creates the universe. The two are the same, just using different words. Yeah. That's that's uh, that's that's incredible, and I would also suggest to our listeners that they go to that website. I've done so, uh, and there's a lot of really interesting things there. But what you're talking about is the diagram that shows, um, you know, the time since since the beginning of time, the Big Bang, until until now, and then of course outside of that huge area of the universe is is nothingness, right? Is nothing is nothing, not not space, nothing. The Bible would say it's God. Yeah, that's hard. You know, for us science to would say we can't. We don't deal with that stuff. Yeah, it's hard to comprehend that there is nothing. There's something that's nothing. Uh, what is so? What uh, is the, Jay? Jay, it's not that it's hard to comprehend. It's impossible. Humans cannot comprehend absolute nothing. A black space is not nothing. Space is something that's black. If it's a black space, nothing means not space. Nothing. Yeah. Something that's outside the human mind. Yeah. That's, that's very interesting. Um, what, what is the general consensus now among uh, astrophysicists uh, as to the time of creation? How many billions of years ago? Well, when we uh, the scientific number is just under 14 billion years. The number is 13.7 billion years. But there's another half of the sentence. It's 13.7, or we just call it 14 for simplicity. It's 14 billion years as measured from the time-space of the coordinates of the Earth now, as measured from the position of the, of the Earth in the universe today. Make that measurement from any other location, and you get a different number. Sometimes it'll be a small difference, sometimes a huge difference. But the second half of the sentence is crucial in understanding the Bibles, understanding the age of the universe. 14 billion years old, as measured from the Earth's position in the universe today. The scientific way of saying it is from the time-space coordinates of the Earth. Right. But there are other time-space coordinates. I'm sorry? But there are, but there are other ways of seeing the, the Torah, the Bible, for the six days of the creation chapter, Genesis chapter 1, has a different perspective on time. It's not an Earth-based perspective on time. And yep. that's brought down by the oldest commentaries we have. Not bending the Bible... The oldest commentaries we had going back a thousand and fifteen hundred years, long before Hubble, long before Einstein, 
made it specific that the perspective of time in the five days, the six days of Genesis is not an earth-based perspective of time. That's why time is described differently in the Bible for the six days leading up to Adam. Evening and morning day one, evening and morning the second day. No, no relationship to an earth-based perspective. Yeah, I, I want to get cosmic, into that. The cosmic perspective. Excuse me? I, Sorry. Yeah, I want to I get into some of those specifics uh, a little bit later if I could. Uh, it seems to me, though, that there's a, a great deal of scoffing at the Bible, uh, the Bible's account of creation. Most people, I think, scoff at that notion. Uh, they, they sort of suggest that the biblical account, the Genesis account of creation, is just as crazy as, as that that's, that's provided by other religions. And as you note in the opening chapter of the book of Genesis, uh, it devotes a mere... 27 sentences to describe the flow of the Big Bang creation of the universe, um, you know, until the first human being. And biblically, almost no explicit information is given. However, uh, you note that uh, the general flow as described in Genesis is in accord with the scientific account of our cosmic history. Can you tell our listeners, uh, sort of help us understand how the scientific account of cosmic history is in sync with the Genesis account? Well, okay, I just, let's take the development of animal life, okay? For specifically, that's, that's way after creation, but animal life. So animal life is first mentioned in verse number 20. The Torah, the Bible, Genesis gives six sentences to the flow, to the development of animal life. It says life started in the water, animal life started in the waters as a burst. It moved to the land. It became mammalian became human. That's all the Bible tells us. Mm -hmm. That is exactly, exactly the flow that the fossil record shows in hundreds of thousands of samples. The Bible devotes only six sentences, but those sentences are spot on being correct. That, that life, the animal life started in the water as an explosion a half a billion years ago, which maps exactly onto day five, where this is talked about. It's called the Cambrian explosion of life. Mm-hmm. Life, science calls it the Big Bang of animal evolution. That suddenly, out of the blue, with no hint of the fossil record before it, we have fossils before that, but nothing what looks like the animals that appear in what's called the Cambrian explosion of life. Ulysses can look it up on the web. And this mm -hmm. whole range of animals suddenly appears in the water as a burst. Well, what does Genesis chapter 1 verse 20 say? Let the waters teem with teams of living animals. Not gradual. Let the waters teem with life. And it's the first mention of animal life. It's, a, it's exactly correct. And then la life becomes land-based mammal people. And that's what the fossil record says. But again, the fossil record has hundreds of thousands of samples. The Bible, the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 is like a zoom lens. The first day talks about the whole universe. By the third day, you're on earth. By the fifth day, it's animals, and by the sixth day, it's people. The Bible is trying zooming in, like this zoom lens. It didn't forget the whole universe is there, and it didn't forget this development of life, but it's interested in getting to people. So you get a 27 sentences, as you said, till you get to Adam. There's almost, in other words, there's very little information given, but the information that is given matches the, the scientific understanding today. And the question you have to ask is, where did a source of knowledge 3,300 years ago, the time of Sinai, get that yeah. information? Yeah, I was going to ask you that because Genesis was written thousands of years ago, long before Einstein, long before Hubble, as you say. Were these guys just plain lucky? 
they they were these ancient commentators, and that's why I only use ancient commentary, no modern biblical commentary, because always modern commentators are always bending the Bible to match the science, or bending the science to uh-huh. match the Bible. Uh-huh. But as you say, you go back a thousand years, fifteen hundred years, there's no place for bending. Modern science wasn't known. <laughs> But they, but they saw in the wording, Jay. They saw in the wording. Why does the Bible at the end of the first day say there was evening and morning one day? Why doesn't it say there was a first day? The Bible at the second day says there's evening, morning, a second day. The third day, evening, morning, a third day. Why should the Bible say there was one day? Why not a first day? And if we ever get into the age of the universe, it's, that just tells you the whole answer of, of why, of why day one. And they saw in these subtleties information and they drew conclusions that science has come to match and it's not like there are a hundred opinions and this guy Schroeder picked the one that works that is just not true mm-hmm. there's one line of understanding and that one line of understanding matches today's scientific understanding mm-hmm. so yeah and, and you mentioned um you know, day, the first the first three days, day one, day two, day three. But you mentioned that uh, they're not days as we understood them in twenty four hour periods because there was no sun until day four, right? Well, the fact the fact is the days are twenty four hours, but they're not sunrise sunset. Mm-hmm. In other words, when the scientist, when these ancient commentators talk about these days of Genesis being twenty four hours each, but they're not relating to sunset and sunrise; they're relating to units of time. And from the biblical perspective of day one, namely looking forward from the beginning, there were six or, till Adam, five and a half, 24-hour days. We see 14 billion years as the two match when we realize that the biblical perspective, not when we realized, when these commentators a thousand years ago realized that the perspective of the Bible for for, of the, for the, what we measure as 14 billion years in our perspective was in fact five and a half 24 hour days seeing time from the beginning and what's interesting Jacob, I find is that this theory which by the way put my second book The Science of God on the bestseller list for that year mm-hmm. as you mentioned before uh-huh. this theory is used by the journal Nature now Nature is one of the two leading science journals in the world peer reviewed it's the top of the mountain for science. Nature is published in the British Isles and in, in the States, the journal Science. These are the two peaks of scientific reporting of results. They're peer-reviewed, and the journal Nature uses this exact approach for a different purpose, but this exact approach of having two perspectives of time, one Earth-based looking back, one biblical looking forward. I assure you, the journal Nature, which is 100% secular, doesn't mention God, doesn't mention the Bible. It has a totally different, a totally different outlook on the world. But the approach of using two perspectives of time is completely scientifically valid, as given the stamp of approval by this AAA, this top of the mountain scientific secular journal. The beautiful part of it is. It's AAA also. I don't mean the Automobile Association. I mean just you know, super, you know, like what are they, AAA bonds or something? I don't know, in, in finances. Yeah, that's right. But there aren't in, many of them and, around anymore. <laughs> what? what? I missed that. What did you say? Oh, I said there aren't many AAA bonds around anymore, the way we're making a mess of things, but that's neither oh. here nor there. Let's keep on, let's keep on, the, yeah. 
that's 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 incredible. I, I find it very incredible. Um, so you, you I, maybe we should explain to our listeners that in fact, um, because the universe is expanding, right? Since the Big Bang, since that thirteen point eight billion years ago, or with whatever the number is, fourteen billion years ago, the universe is expanding. So time isn't constant, right? Is that the concept? Well, the concept is that when you see an event that takes place and you don't see it from actually where it's taking place from a different location in the universe, mm-hmm. let's say a star explodes a hundred, a, a bit, 10 billion years, 10 billion light years away from us. It takes 10 billion years for the light to reach us or 5 billion years. When that, that's, that light, we don't see the star or the exploding star lifetime. We see it after the light reaches us. And that light has to go through space to reach us, obviously. But during that time, the universe is stretching out, expanding. So the information is actually stretched out. Or conversely, if you wanted to go back in time mathematically, not physically, obviously, you can't go back physically, but mathematically in time to the moment, let's say, that star exploded billions of years ago. Okay, so you get, we get this information now, billions of years after the event, but I call up an astronomer and say, well, what would it look like if I went back to the moment that it happened. So he would tell me, well, you've got to go back in time those five billion years. And in those five billion years, what would the universe be doing? It would become a smaller. Remember, going backwards in time, mathematically, not physically, to calculate what the, what the passage of time would look like five billion years ago. Well, when you go back in time, not only does the universe become more compressed, because the universe gets smaller earlier in time, back in mm-hmm. time, but the amazing fact, according to astronomy, is the perception of time. Perception. The uh-huh. perception of time also compresses exactly the same ratio. And that's the answer to how five and a half days can contain 14 billion years. Because yeah, I just... It, it is incredible. We, uh, my engineer is telling me we only have less than four minutes left, so I want to get on to a couple of other things. We should have probably blocked out more time, but we can have you back again sometime if you're willing to come back. I just want to ask you, you, you explained very well, I think, that five and a half days or the six days, uh, you know, the time difference and, and why Genesis, in fact, fits uh, our understanding of, of the time. Uh, some other concepts, though, that I'd like to get to, if we could, before we finish, has to do with this notion of the force of creation is uh, intelligence, right? It, uh, the, the nature of the creation, according, according to science today, is that the universe was created by a series of information-rich, information-packed uh, phenomena. We call them the laws of nature. And we can get this right off the site. Go to that w- the website again, and you see it as the creating force, a quantum fluctuation, which means the laws of nature. And the laws of nature are essentially information. So the universe is, in fact, embedded, embedded with with a, a, a flow of information. And I just I want to just quote very quickly. We only have a few minutes. I realize. Yes. But the the person that in fact first saw it, theorized, and now science accepts it that the universe is this force of by the laws of nature. He writes like this. His name is Ed Tryron. What a gift to humanity this man is. And he's, and he's secular. Tryron summed up the significance of his insight like this. In 1973, it occurred to me that relativity and quantum theory might imply that the laws of nature could create the universe from nothing. 
if that is the case, then matter and energy, the stuff of which the universe is made, are not fundamental. But matter and energy are merely manifestations of these underlying forces, this underlying information called in the, in the laws of nature. Ultimate rea reality would be those forces, or in another words, the mind of Einstein's God. Mm. And That's secular scientist after secular scientist says, if you want to call that God, it's fine by us. The only question that remains is, is that, is that force, that godly force that created the universe, interested in you when you pray to God? And that's a topic for another time. Well, we it is. Uh, it it certainly is. You mentioned a, a number of great scientists. George Wald, who, uh, whose study of the retina convinced him uh, away from his agnostic ideas. And, and there's so much in this book. The Science of God, people, you should go out and buy it. I'm sure you can get it on Amazon. You can get it where? Any place, uh, major bookstores, I suppose. Dr. Yeah, Schreiber. Amazon is the, the bookstores have it. Amazon has it. Barnes, you know, dot com. My go to my website and you can just click on it and you get yeah. it easily. Yeah, then so, that is uh, what website is in one word. Gerald Schroeder. Just if you just type in Gerald Schroeder and you you know it 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 pops up. My website pops up. GeraldSchroeder dot com is what the that's, website is. That's S C H R O E D E R. Gerald Schroeder. S -C yeah, S-C-H-R-O-E-D-E-R, Gerald, yeah, Gerald yeah. Schroeder. Fantastic, uh, Dr. Schroeder. It's really a, pleas uh, a pleasure having you with me, and I hope that maybe we can come back and we can address that subject that needs to be addressed, because after all, that's what it's all about, I think, in many ways. You know, how does this affect us in the way we should live our own lives is, is uh, much of what we talk about on this radio show. So even though this may seem far out there, you know, <laughs> no pun intended, but far out. Uh, it, it, I think it's close in in many ways. I want to thank you very much for being with me today, Dr. Schroeder, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime in the near future. Well, it was my pleasure. Thanks for having me, and God bless your listeners. Make sure and be and well. you as well. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back uh, after the break with Alistair McLeod, and we're going to talk about some more earthly things, namely gold and silver, when he comes back. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters 
Attention mining investors, Brazil Resources Incorporated trading as BRIZF on the OTC and BRI on the TSXV is exploring and developing five gold projects in Brazil, surrounded by expanding gold mines and deposits. It's acquiring a nearly 700,000 ounce gold resource. BRI has top geologists earlier involved in discovering 10 million ounces of gold in Brazil, led by recognized mining executive Admir Adnani, chairman. Check out Brazil Resources com or call 1-855-630-1001. That's 1-855-630-1001.